Welcome to season two of Nuances Beyond First Impressions with the Asian Diaspora. Together, we wanted to create a safe space where everyone can learn more about our diverse communities, the complicated relationships we have with our culture, and how they intersect with feminism, queerness, disability, anti-racism, career choices, politics, and more. I'm Ariadne Miller, a Filipino-American from a small town on the southern border of Texas. And I'm Sherilyn Lee, a.k.a. Lazu, a new American originally from the only place a dodo bird ever lived, Mauritius. This week, winemaker Justina Sia walks us through the various career opportunities in wine and how she's creating the support network and community of diverse wine professionals she wishes existed when she first started. If you've ever wondered what wine would pair well with sashimi, Vietnamese spring rolls, Mongolian beef, sinigang, adobo, or kare kare, be sure to listen to the full episode. But before we get into that conversation, did you know that we are hosting our first live event on Zoom for free in a couple of weeks? It will be on March 26th at 2 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Central, it is completely free to attend. We're going to keep it small. So if you want to come, send us an email, nuancespodcast at gmail.com. We'll have a few of our guests join us and it will be a nice, chill hangout. This podcast is completely a labor of love and I do it as a volunteer. If you would like to help me sustain this podcast, any support would be appreciated. I have just added the ability for you listeners to support the podcast. It's linked in the show notes and any amount you decide to help with will go towards expenses for the podcast, such as the website, hosting and all the tools that I need to create this podcast for you all. Now, a couple of terms that I want to define before we talk to Justine, because some of you might not be familiar with them or might have forgotten. So here they are. A PA is a physician's assistant. A green card is a U.S. permanent resident card, and it's not easy to get one from personal experience. And somebody who is cisgender, or cis for short, is someone whose gender identity corresponds with the sex registered for them at birth, which means they're not transgender. All right, on to our conversation with Justine Osia. Today we are here with Justine Osia. Justine was raised by a traditional Filipino family that taught her their narrow definition of success. The one that implies you can only be a happy, successful, and fulfilled person if you're a nurse, doctor, engineer, or lawyer. Little did they know, a different career would be calling for her. As a daughter of a wine enthusiast, Justine frequently visited Napa and Paso Robles and started developing a palate at a young age. It was this interest that unanticipatedly turned into her career. Her family thought wine was an unconventional path. I've never seen a woman winemaker, let alone a Filipino winemaker, her dad said. They came around because Justine was able to make them feel passionate by unashamedly sharing what she loves and being inclusive despite their doubts. Justine has worked in the wine industry for over six years as a vineyard sugar tester, winemaking, harvest intern, hospitality, cellar worker, phenolics researcher, wholesale assistant, customer care representative, and social media marketing director. As Justine pursues her goal of having her own wine label this year, her mission is to always make wine education more accessible and advocate for women and diversity in wine. Justine, thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> it seems like you have done pretty much every job there is in the wine industry. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. I pretty much covered it. But throughout the years, it's become more evident that winemaking is where my passion is and where I'm happiest. 
Tell us a bit more about your interest in wine. You did say that your parents were into wine, so you got a taste of that early. But when did you realize that was what you wanted to do for a living? That's a great question. This is something that I was exposed to at a very young age. I was very much interested in the culture. When you walk into a tasting room and you smell fermentation during harvest, it just smells so sweet. I remember my dad and my mom tasting in tasting rooms and I would always ask my dad, can I smell? My dad is like, only smell, okay? Don't taste because <laughs> I'm underage. But it was at the age of 16 that I actually started tasting wine at home. So I grew up with bottles on the table. My parents would let me taste at home and I started developing a palate at a young age. I'll be honest, the first wine that I tasted, I was not a fan I was like, oh, alcohol. <laughs> I love the smell. And I knew I would eventually develop a palate for it. And I did. I started off with sweeter wines and then white wines and worked my way to reds. But it wasn't until I was actually studying for midterms at a boba shop. And my friend noticed I would be on social media. I would post about my excursions with my family to Paso and Napa and post about wine and talk about wine a lot, like very passionately. And my friend was like, did you know wine making is a career? And I was like, shut up, no. <laughs> she was like, yeah, our local university has a winemaking program, like one of the most prominent winemaking programs in the country. And I was like, I did not know this. <laughs> So what I did is I researched a bunch of different schools. I researched programs. I researched more about the profession, how much they make, because let's be honest, that also matters. And then what I decided to do was take my introductory WSET course. WSET stands for Wine and Spirits Education Trust. And it's a very introductory course with multiple levels. I started at the very lowest and that instantly solidified that winemaking was what I wanted to do. And I'm really glad that's what I decided because I didn't know that there were all these different facets in the industry and different job positions until I started applying to all these different entry levels. Throughout my experience, it just made more sense that winemaking was what I was more passionate about. <laughs> you said you were studying for midterms. You were already in a university or college program? Yes. I was in a community college and I was actually pursuing a medical career like my parents wanted me to. <laughs> I was kind of like bouncing around different possible medical professions. Like I thought I wanted to be a pharmacist and then I thought I wanted to be an optometrist. And finally, because I found out there was such a shortage of physicians and people. We were in demand of PAs. I was like, okay, let me go and be a PA. So I went through EMT school. I was getting my prereqs at a community college. I was about to go apply to some PA schools. And that's when I found out why I was career. It changed my life. So cool. <laughs> How did that conversation go with your family? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'll be honest, it was kind of horrible. My parents didn't take me seriously, considering I had been back and forth trying to figure out what I wanted to do within the medical profession. They didn't take me seriously when I said I wanted to do wine because it was completely 180. They're like, where did this come from? It was hard. Even after I expressed that this is what I wanted to pursue, they try to convince me, why don't you do that as a second career? Why don't you make some money right now and go be a medical professional and then pursue that later on in life? I was like, no, that's not what I want to do. And they would tell me examples. Oh, how about this artist that we met? He was an engineer first before he just pursued painting. I was like, that's not what I want to do. 
So it was really hard trying to convince them that this is something that I was really passionate about and very serious about. They kind of forced my hand and I had to move out of the house and be financially independent, which in our culture, that's not really common considering we live in our family's house until we get married. I still live with a family right now, but at that point I moved out for a little bit. I moved in with my partner and it was just a better situation because even though I was hustling, I was working how many jobs at the time. I was a piano teacher. I was a chemistry tutor. I was a high school tutor. I was doing multiple things putting myself through school. And then I ended up getting my first job in the industry. I was doing so much, but I was overwhelmed and stressed, but I was a lot happier doing that in an environment where I could thrive. Yeah. But eventually my parents came around. They saw that I was super serious about it. I was able to get my own jobs without their help because my parents are the kind of people who are covering and they're like, oh, what about this job? They set me up with all these shadowing opportunities. I didn't set that up. They did versus all the opportunities that I got were opportunities that I pushed myself to go get and pursue. So yeah, there was a big difference. That's interesting. It's kind of like they didn't know how to help you, so they freaked out. <laughs> they did. They did. And I know it's because our culture, we want stability. I'm first generation. My parents came here to the U.S. to give me and my sister a better life. What better life do they know other than the medical field? Because that's what gave them a better life. That's their green card here. That's what was able to put me and my sister through school and have a privileged life. So I understand their hovering and them pushing me and pressuring me to pursue something that I didn't want was out of love. They were completely ignorant, did not know that wine can also be a stable career and very successful. Before I moved to California, I had never even thought of there were careers in wine. It's not something that you think about, especially if you didn't grow up with wine. It's not a career that you hear about at the career fair in your high school. <laughs> no, they skip you that. They skip you that. Teacher, doctor, engineer, nurse. That's a big one with our culture, being a nurse. Both my parents are nurses, so <laughs> there you go. What was it like for you to jump headfirst into this wine world that your family knew nothing about and you probably didn't know a lot of people in the wine industry? So What was that like? Were you able to find a community that you could kind of grow with? What was the experience? So when I first dove in deep into the industry, I had no resources. I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know anything. The first book that I picked up was my dad's and it was Wine for Dummies, okay? It literally was a Wine for Dummies book. I definitely feel like the Debbie set helped me. But then when I got my first job in the industry, I learned vineyard work, found out that that wasn't something that I wanted to do. I never met another woman winemaker. And even like my dad said, when he said it, he was right. At the time, I'd never seen a Filipino winemaker, nonetheless, Filipino in the wine industry. But throughout the years, and I feel especially during the pandemic, I've been able to connect with a wider set of people, not just here in California, but throughout the country, and really learn about other Filipinos in this industry. Mind you, a lot of them are either in sales or hospitality, but in wine production and winemaking, very rare. It wasn't until the past couple of years that I found some Filipinos not only pursuing winemaking, but are established winemakers today. Now I found my community here and it's been an amazing journey since 
I started getting more involved in social media, connecting and networking with different people in industry. And it's been amazing up here in Napa, out of all places, the most conservative, the very most, it's a white male dominant industry, but even more so here in Napa. And it's just incredible to see such a diverse group of young professionals making their way and making themselves known in this industry. I don't just mean women. So BIPOC individuals, I don't mean just Asian, but also queer folks. So it's just been such a beautiful experience seeing the difference from then to now. And now there's even more resources that I wish I had because there's now organizations like Asian Wine Professionals, which I'm a third of, that is dedicated to shedding light and amplify the voices of Asian wine professionals. There's also organizations that give scholarships and funding and internship opportunities to not just women, but also BIPOC individuals. There's also an organization that is dedicated to creating a safe space for the LGBTQI community in wine. It's it's incredible. I am just blown away. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Have there been people that have been inspirations to you in the wine industry that have been good examples or mentors that have helped you navigate the industry being AAPI, being a woman? I wouldn't really say there has been a lot of Filipino or Asian mentors in my life. I would love a mentor. But there have been a lot of specifically women and BIPOC individuals who I look up to. I would definitely say when I was more so inspired and feeling more empowered being a Filipina in wine was when I took a break from school and ended up moving up to Sonoma, California to work at a couple different wineries. And just so happened the winery that I was interning at, the winemaker is Filipino. And as I was interning under him and visiting vineyards with him, I asked a lot about his upbringing and his culture. And he was very much like me. He was born here in the States, but very much grew up with our culture, our customs. And he started out actually in the medical field. He was a cancer researcher, scientist, and then pursued winemaking later on. So it was completely inspiring seeing him thrive in a very white industry. There have been plenty of female winemakers that I look up to. One of them being, I'm going to have to shout her out, Tara Gomez. She is the very first female indigenous Native American winemaker, also part of the LGBTQ community, and just the most humble, most down-to-earth woman. And there's a lot of ego in this industry, and most of it come from male, but she is like probably the most down-to-earth, most humble, genuine person that I've met in this industry. <laughs> That's awesome. You mentioned the Asian Wine Professionals Group. I was wondering if there are little anecdotes that you'd like to share about why there was a need for such a group. What are are your common experiences as Asian wine professionals in this predominantly white male cisgendered industry? Right. Asian wine professionals actually started right after the Asian hate crimes started happening. And that's when I thought, like, we need to create a safe space for Asian wine professionals in our industry and advocate for ourselves. During this time, during the pandemic, there was a lot of messed up things going on in the world. And we definitely saw a community. Community is the reason why it was necessary because there literally was no Asian community in wine. My experience being an Asian woman in wine has been, I wouldn't really say terrible, but in some instances it's been hard because 
have had some instances where I wasn't taken seriously. I even remember this winemaker from my school would be like, oh, Justine, you're so good at sales. You're so good at marketing. You should take up this brokerage internship. And I'm over here. You don't want me to work for you in wine, winemaking. Or some people assume I work in hospitality, which don't get me wrong, I do it all. I do all those things, but you know, to really take me seriously and look at me as a winemaker, I can get my hands dirty too, okay? I don't always have these pretty fingernails. I can lift some heavy things. I can lift barrels and like, I can turn barrels. I can do some hard work. I can get down and dirty and to be taken seriously as more would be great. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What are some ways in which your industry feels like it wasn't designed for people like you, AAPI folks and women? And what are some changes that you would like to see? A lot of the resources have not been accessible in the past. My dream is to have my own wine label, my own winery. A lot of that takes capital and a lot more opportunity and resources and connections. And I feel like as a BIPOC and a woman, a lot of those resources haven't been made as available as it definitely would for a white male, 100%. Changes I would like to see is definitely more women and BIPOC, just more diverse people in leadership who are spearheading change. I would love to see more bigger corporations within the wine industry proactively doing seminars for DEI, promoting more equity within the industry and giving more opportunities for people like us, you know? You mentioned that you are going to launch your wine label later this year, which is very exciting. What's it called, first of all? Does it have a name? Yes, it is. It is. Oh, this is my first time saying it out there. But it's going to be called Kabayan Wines. I love that. It's a word that I've been using a lot more often lately. Kabayan, it's a word that embodies community and loosely translates as my people. Filipinos will say to another Filipino, be like, hey, you're from my country. So it's going to be Kabayan Wines. And the reason for that is because I truly feel like the reason why I'm able to do this, it comes back to community. This is a project that I thought would be happening 20 years from now. Like I said, resources are really tough to come by and give you the opportunity to do something like this. And I've been really fortunate to have an amazing community that's been very supportive, been asking me like, what can I do to help you thrive? What can I do to make this project happen? I've stumbled upon an amazing friend who's given me the opportunity and the space and the equipment for me to make this happen. Like I said, it comes back to community. That's the only reason why this is able to happen now, even before I graduate. That is amazing. Thank you. Since this is not a career choice that many of us are even aware of when we're trying to pick a career, I would love for you to give us an idea of what a day in the life of a winemaker looks like. Ooh, a day in the life of a winemaker. So that depends on the time of year. It is busy season during harvest time, and that's usually in the fall here. That is, if you're talking this hemisphere. So usually from August, September till like around November, December is the time for harvest. We're bringing in fruit. You're constantly washing things all the time. It's a lot of cleaning. A lot of people don't think that there's a lot of cleaning You better love to wash dishes (laughs) and clean things if you want to be a winemaker. It's a lot of cleaning sanitation. So there's that. It's prepping for harvest, prepping barrels and tanks, and then processing fruit. Lots of lab work. There's some very basic wet chemistry involved. 
and you're testing for sugar, acid, there's volatile acid, sulfur levels. Also checking out vineyards throughout the year. If you're not growing it, then you're checking out vineyards to buy. Or if you are growing the fruit, you have to go by the vineyard, test the sugar levels, taste it every day, kind of plan when to pick the fruit just in time to process it. And then on the off season, once you've barreled down and this is finished wine in barrel, this is where the artsy part of it comes in. And you're like, okay, I have all these different wines. What should I make? And it's the blending process that makes it so beautiful because maybe there's a wine that is lacking some character. Oh, but this wine has exactly what I'm looking for in that wine. So what do you do? You blend them together and you figure out proportions and you come up with a beautiful, wholesome product right there. And that's the art side of it. That's awesome. That is, yeah, that's amazing. For people who might be trying to figure out what career they want, if they're interested in what things should they be considering wine as an option? Wine can be for anyone. It doesn't have to be in winemaking. I think this industry can have people with different interests and facets. If you want to work in tech, you can work in wine tech. If you want to be in HR, if you want to be in marketing, if you want to be in sales, there's some really cool sales job where you're going to be traveling across the country. I even have a friend, his job is that he travels to private sellers and he authenticates them which is so crazy to me to think that there's fake wine out there in the world. <laughs> but he authenticates them. He praises them and consigns them. It's insane. There's so many different opportunities in this industry. You could be working in hospitality. You could be the person who's the face in the tasting room, you know, educating. You could be a wine educator. You could be a wine journalist. You could write about wine, write about food and wine. There's so many different facets in this industry. It's a matter of figuring out what your skills are, what you're good at, I kid you not, being in this industry is super rewarding. So if any else of you likes wine, maybe you should look into it. <laughs> awesome. As a winemaker, what does success look like to you? That answer continues to evolve as I figure out what's even possible. To me, I thought, okay, once I have my wine label, I have my own wine label, I'll be successful. But then after that, it's oh, okay, I'll be successful when I have my own winery too. But then I even figured out wine consulting is a thing. Maybe I also want to branch out to be a wine consultant as I'm having somebody else help me run my own winery. You know, expanding that whole idea. But also, I think success is also giving back to the community. There's a few organizations other than Asian wine professionals that I'm part of. I'm also the social media director for Badinage, which is a nonprofit that advocates for women in wine and sets up mentorship programs for them. I'm also part of an organization called Hue Society that specifically sets up educational and networking opportunities for people of color in wine. I definitely want to keep being part of these organizations and give back. Once I am more established, I want to have other people who look like me, give them opportunity to come work in wine. I want to give back, set up scholarship opportunities. It's just, I want to see everybody succeed. And I think when I see that, I will feel successful. That's awesome. If you could have a wish list of five things that the wine industry could do better in terms of DEI to be more inclusive, what would those be? Yes, most definitely setting up DEI seminars for your employees, hiring more people of color and women and queer folks in the industry, right? 
making sure that these opportunities are accessible to everybody and everybody has a fair chance. Because I kid you not, I have seen wineries put out job opportunities out there. But then the second that they get people to inquire about these jobs, like they apparently had already preset, already hired people for that. That's not fair. But again, that's the thing. It's, it's who you know, whatnot. And that's why these opportunities have to be accessible to everybody to network and meet people who can give you these opportunities. I would love to see more of these bigger corporations with a hefty amount of money to give back to these organizations who give out these opportunities and sets up these internship programs. Another thing is this initiative that I am also part of called the Bathing Collective. The Bathing Collective is a organization that is setting up the very first for-profit worker-owned winery and vineyard. It's going to be a co-op. So there's going to be tons of different producers, whether it be cider, whether it be in distilling, whether it be in winemaking. And it's going to be a lot of different producers within one space, sharing space, sharing equipment, sharing resources, creating multiple revenue streams so that we could all succeed but it's also making resources more accessible to the most marginalized groups in wine. The idea is for us to set up a co-op here and then set up a co-op across the country, set up a co-op out of the country so that we could also set up internship programs for people who look like us and send them one harvest, do a harvest out in France, do a harvest out in the East Coast, do a harvest here in the West Coast so they can get have more opportunity, experience a lot more different things, whether it be grape, winemaking styles, whatnot. And then we want to expand and also connect that to culinary. Because let's be honest, that's how we understand wine. Because food is a universal language. Pairing wine with food is how people understand wine more. Yeah. Speaking of pairing wine and food, do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yes. I was just talking about this yesterday. I went to a really cool wine release party of my friends. I feel like with all Asian food, the very typical wine pairing is Riesling. Everybody wants to pair Riesling with every Asian food, (laughs) which I feel like most of the time it works. But Asian food in general is just so diverse, super diverse. There's Taiwanese. There's Chinese, there's Thai, there's Japanese. And then Filipino food is so very different from all these. Even though we're under the box of Asians, we have a lot more in common with Hispanic culture. And a lot of our food portrays that. It's super diverse and you cannot pair just one wine with a such diverse group of culinary dishes. And I mean, wine itself is very diverse. So why not branch out? There's a lot of different options out there. We have a dish called chicken adobo. It's very soy saucy, very vinegary. Goes so well with a Syrah. Syrah that may be, or PT Syrah that's slightly chilled and has a lot of tannin structure that will stand up to that soy sauce and a good acidity that will match up to the vinegar. So that's a really good pairing. Maybe a GSM, a Grenache with Vedra Syrah blend, very typical of Rhone in France. And that goes really well with, oh my gosh, my favorite dish is Sinigang. For those of you who do not know Sinigang, you must. It is a tamarind stew. And my favorite, you can choose your protein, but my favorite is beef just because I love like that fattiness, but that goes really well with the heftiness of the GSM. It's a little spicy too. What? else. Ooh, also I've been making Vietnamese fresh spring rolls lately and I think they go really well with something with a little sweetness, maybe like a semion. It's a white wine, sweetness, great acidity, 
still super fresh. So it matches up to the freshness of the spring world. Maybe even a garage demeanor for that too. So there is a lot of different options. It's a fun world out there. <laughs> What's yeah. a wrap for kare kare? Because I've always been curious. I love kare. I love kare kare. Oh man. Okay, kare kare. I was just talking to a master som about this. She's based in Houston. She has a restaurant group called Goodnight Charlie, I believe. And she's female in wine. She's a Filipino wine, but not only that, she's a master psalm. And it's a really hard certification to get. There's only like, I want to say less than 100 master psalms. I could be wrong. But I mean, it's really hard. Like sometimes people take the test nine times and they're the people who, when they smell and taste a wine and look at it, they have to be able to tell where it's from, the price point, what varietal it is, whether it be a Cab or a Sauvignon Blanc or a Pinot and what vineyard, it's the specifics to it is insane. But there's only a few people in the world who have that skill and she has that skill. I interviewed her once and we talked about Filipino food and wine and she said Filipino food goes really well with Rhone varietal. So if you're talking Grenache, Mavedra, Syrah, or even all those things in one blend is amazing. So I definitely think a GSM would be really great. But because of how thick kare kare is and it's slightly sweet, I would even pair that with a Gewürztraminer because you don't have to go red wine with meat. You could also go white wine. Why not? Or even a Pinot. Because Pinot has some acidity and that Pinot would cut through the thickness as well. Now I'm hungry. To wrap up the interview, we are going to do some rapid fire questions. These are just one word, one phrase. You don't have to explain. You can if you want to. Are okay. you ready? <laughs> Am I ready? Okay. <laughs> All right. First one is, what was the most amazing wine and Asian food pairing you've had? Mongolian beef and Gershmeaner. There you go. Yeah, because I didn't think about pairing white wine with beef. Yeah. <laughs> what is the most underrated wine and most overrated wine, in your opinion? Underrated wine? Okay, overrated wine, Cab. Cabernet Sauvignon, it is the most in the market. There's so many people who make it that it's really hard to have a cab be super accessible and affordable. Like I want to say a decent cab has to be at least 50 bucks to be it. pretty good. Underrated wine, I would have to say Chenin Blanc. Chenin Blanc is a super great white wine that you could get for super affordable. Like I was just at Trader Joe's with my friend the other day and she picked up this wine. It's from Pine Ridge Estates in Napa which to begin with, Napa is super expensive, but you could get a Pine Ridge, Chenin, and Viognier blend for $11.99. Super accessible, super tasty. I always recommend that one. Cool. going to have to try that too. Yeah, I need to go to get some wine at Trader Joe's. They have a deep selection. Like, I'm not mad at it. If you just know, you know, the regions, what's worth your bang for your buck, those are the little secrets that you need in order to find a good wine for super cheap. You don't need to be spending hundreds of dollars for a good bottle of wine. That's what I always say. Okay, what is your desert island food and wine pairing? Desert island food and wine pairing? Oh my gosh, desert island... Well, if I'm on an island, I want to drink rosé, which is fitting because my handle on Instagram is Heja Rosé. So I'm a rosé lover, although I drink it all. So if I was an island, I would definitely want rosé. And I'm guessing the fish is super fresh. So maybe some sashimi. Good choice. If I'm on an island, the fresh is fit. The fish is fresh. No, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. What is an Asian food that you should like, but don't? That I should like, but don't? Oh, yes. Okay. It's Dinaguan. I'm not a fan 
And don't get me wrong. I like, in certain, certain dishes, I'll eat cooked blood or, I mean, I even eat isau, which is what, chicken intestines, grilled. I eat some weird stuff. I even like escargot. It's not even really that weird that I think about it because a lot of people like escargot. But pork's blood with innards and stew and it looks all gritty and it's not my thing. And usually people eat it over rice. It is a delicacy. I think anybody should try it. My sister loves it, but everyone in my family knows I don't. Yeah, it's a hit or miss. I feel like the people who like the nugu'an, they love it. And the ones who don't like it, like they really don't like it. Polarizing dish, huh? Yeah, very much. Yes, but I've been made fun of for it because I don't like it. People are like, you're not really that Filipino if you don't like Dana Gone. I'm like, no. excuse me. Oh. <laughs> Literally Filipino. So, uh-huh. yeah. And just for our listeners who don't know, dinuguan, it's also known as chocolate meat. It's made with diced pork and it's cooked in, in pig's blood, basically. That's the sauce. So, it's definitely very polarizing. Worth trying at least once and then make up your mind. Yes, definitely that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then the last one that we have is what's an Asian food that you'll never get tired of? Sinigang. I love Sinigang. I will make that in the heat and I will still eat that. I remember back then when my family was island hopping in the Philippines, we just picked up some fish from the side of the road under this hut and we drove to the end of the island so we could swim at the beach. But right on the beach, there's this hut and you give the person the fish and they'll cook it for you any way you want. My mom said half of it fried and the other half was a sinigang. It was a fish sinigang. And it was hot. I'm swimming in the ocean waiting for this food to be cooked. And I'm like, I will always eat sinigang, whether it's hot or cold. What else? And Filipino spaghetti. I'm very Asian American where I will eat some Jollibee. Some Jollibee Filipino spaghetti is so good. (laughs) Yeah, I always get the Jollibee palabok. I like it, but I love, I will always get their spicy chicken and the spaghetti. Yeah. Yes, I get the spicy too. I get the spicy chicken too. It is so good. It is so good. But when I get the spaghetti, what I do is I get the family tray and that will be my lunch for the week. I love Italian spaghetti, but Filipino spaghetti hits different. Sometimes I need the sweetness and the hot dogs. Literally same. It's because I keep on saying it's because I'm Filipino and we're diabetics. Like I like sweets, okay? Yeah, we love it. (laughs) Do you want to let our listeners know where they can find you, how they can connect with you, keep track of what you're doing with your wine label and everything? Yes, of course. So follow me on Instagram through Rose, H-E-Y-J-A-Y-R-O-S-E. And follow Wine Label, Kabayan Wines, K-A-B-A-Y-A-N Wines. Follow my journey. If you ever are interested in a career in wine, let me know. I can definitely set you up with a lot of different resources. Thank you very much for spending the time with us today. It was great chatting with you. Yes, of course. Thank you so much. It was so great to know you guys and have you guys get to know me. And I'm such a chatterbox, but I am very much passionate about what I do. And I'm very thankful to share my story. Thank you guys for giving me that platform. Here are our takeaways for today's episode. Number one, when we graduate high school or even college, there are so many careers out there that we have never even considered because we didn't know they existed. So many people end up changing careers for that very reason. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There are more people changing careers than we might think. I will link a book in the show notes that I found very inspiring 
go check that out if you're one of those people who's not sure you can commit to a single career for your entire life. Number two, as we discovered in our episode with sommelier Josh Tikalongon, wine is not a traditionally diverse industry. But groups like Asian wine professionals and others mentioned by Justine are quickly bringing about much-needed change and the wine industry is now more diverse than it's ever been. Number three, wine is not the only industry that is cis-white male-dominated. If you're in one of those industries, organizing and advocating for yourselves can be a great way to both find community and advance your careers together. Number four, don't be afraid to experiment with business models such as co-ops that might be more employee-friendly and create more of a sense of community. And lastly, many of our parents do want us to go into those careers that are very green card friendly because that's what has worked for them. But as they say, what got you here won't get you there. So sometimes we have to break the mold and do something else. If you enjoyed this episode, send this to a friend who loves wine and would really appreciate this. I know all of you listeners have excellent taste in food. And if you drink wine or if you have friends who drink wine, I hope this was entertaining and insightful. Be sure to follow us on whichever podcast platform you're listening to right now so that you get notifications when a new episode comes out because I have a few special episodes that may come out before season three. So you don't want to miss those. So find that follow button or subscribe button and click it. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Lazoo, and I'll see you on Zoom in a couple weeks. Bye.